0: I'm super excited that you guys are able to meet tonight, and I just want to applaud you for continuing to try to make things happen during this super crazy season. So um, my name is Shari King. Uh, It rhymes with sorry. If you forget it, that's okay because everyone does. And so it's Shari rhymes with sorry and last name King, which is easier, K-I-N-G, um, and I am a lot of different things. I am a student right now. Actually, I'm getting my um, d my master's in divinity right now. I'm pursuing it at Anderson University. Possibly I'll transition into a doctorate, I'm hoping, um, and maybe one day be a professor. So we'll see what happens. I don't know. Um, but I feel like the Lord, ever since I was a little girl, gave me the gift of teaching. And opening the Word of God and hoping to present it in a practical way to other people in a way that they can understand. And even more than that, in a way that they feel passionate about their love for God in a deeper way. And so that has been my passion since I was probably 12 years old. I came to know the Lord at 11, um, and I felt called to ministry at 12, Now, at 12 years old, pretty much when you're called to ministry, you don't have any idea what that means. And I think that sometimes when you're called to ministry, it just kind of changes all the time. So it's good training when you're young and you don't know what you're doing because pretty much it sometimes it just changes. And with the world, I think we have to be flexible when we're doing ministry to kind of figure out how do we do it in the world that we live in. And I'm sure a lot of you guys are kind of thinking that right now with COVID, how do we minister to people How do we love Jesus? If you're a freshman, you're trying to get plugged in, and maybe you're trying to find your place at Clemson, and yet it's hard to connect when everything's so uncertain. So how do we continue not only to minister to people, but find a place to be ministered to? So the world changes, and we have to change with it. We have to ask the Lord what we're doing, and that can be hard. So at 12, I felt like I was called to ministry, and I didn't know what that meant, Completely. I majored in recreation management. Um, who does, is anyone in that? Yeah. yeah? Okay, so when I told my granddaddy that I was gonna major in recreation management, he said, So what does that mean? You're gonna sit on a porch in a rocking chair and recreate? And so, why is your mom p- paying for that? And so it was really funny. I was trying to explain to him what the major was, but I would tell him that I was. You know, learning how to rock climb and teaching people how to rock climb, and then I was learning how to cave and teaching people how to cave, and then I was learning how to whitewater raft, teaching people how to whitewater raft, and he just didn't understand how that could ever be a career. Um, But it led me to um, teach rock climbing for my husband at the camp that we started, and that turned into a ministry. So we've been doing camp for 25 years for students, and we're still doing that. We've been ministering in that area. We also do mission trips. We do all of these things. And so our ministry has changed in many ways since the time when we first met. So that's a little bit what I do. Um, I also am a mom, and one of my sons is here with me tonight. Jacob, will you raise your hand? Okay. So he's so awesome. He's 18 years old. He is dual enrolled, so he's finishing out his senior year. And next year we'll be going to college. And then I have another friend with me. Her name is Shawna Asbell. And you guys need to totally clap for her because she's working at Starbucks at 5 in the morning. So being here tonight is a super big sacrifice. (laughs) Yes. Um, So that's a little bit about me. I have a ministry with my husband. I'm also a pastor's wife. So there's just a lot of roles that I have in my life that I juggle. And sometimes parts of them are busy and sometimes other parts aren't. And in some weird way, the Lord just helps us balance it all. So, um, I just want to let you know that that's a little bit who I am. Um, And as I was preparing this message, I was super excited because I feel like so many things have been canceled lately. That I'm so excited to be here to you guys, uh, with you guys, and I've really been thinking about this message. And one reason I've been thinking about it and the subject of this message is because I think it's something that our world really needs. I think it's something we've needed for a long time, but now more than ever. And so you guys are in a series where you're talking about intimacy with God. And so I talked to some of your leaders. We had a great dinner before I even came. And they were talking about how you guys have gotten some good practical teaching on how to have personal intimacy with God. And those are all great things that I want you to, like, move forward with. This is a different kind of message about your intimacy with God. This is a little bit more about If you're already in an intimate relationship with God, if you understand that you need that intimacy, why is it so significant for you to continue to foster that to our world? So the title of the message today is going to be, What is a Witness and How Can I Be One? What is a witness and how can I be one? So I don't know if you guys are like me. When I was young, the first mission trip I went on, I was 13, and we went to Mexico, and one of the things that we did, I don't know why they made me as a middle schooler do this in a, langu- in a country where I didn't even speak the language, but they sent our entire group out into the community where we were supposed to ask people if they knew Jesus, just random people who we didn't know. Now, I didn't know Spanish, so I don't really know why I was doing this, but Because I guess I'm a white American, I had a translator with me, and maybe that was, like, intriguing to the culture or whatever. And so we would go up to people and ask if they knew Jesus. We would kind of go through a track. It was the most intimidating thing I had ever done. I'm talking not only to people who don't speak my language, but I also don't know their culture very well because I'm just really only 13, but it was my first experience in doing this thing that people always told me you're supposed to do. Go and make, be a witness, go witnessing. And so for me, the term witness or the term witnessing felt intimidating. Now, I don't know what your personality is. Maybe you're just like a total out there person and you don't care how you're received. And you can just say stuff and walk away and let it all like go off your back, but I'm just not like that. I, I feel like I'm one of those people that when I'm in a conversation with people, I, I just kind of feel it. I can feel what's going on around me. So the awkward that I felt when I did that, like in the park witnessing or door-to-door witnessing, super hard for me. I want to connect with something. I want to know uh, with someone. I want to know who they are. I want to know what they're about. I want to know that the things that I'm saying to them are going to go somewhere, and so for me, this was a hard form of witnessing. And I don't know if you guys have ever felt that way. Well, my, scene, my freshman year in college, I went to Appalachian State University. So I don't know if you guys know where that is or any of y'all may be transferred. But I loved, I loved going there. Now, everyone told me, because I went to a Christian high school, so everybody said, well, it's a party school. You're never going to survive there. And so I kind of got scared when I first went that I would lose my faith or, um, or whatever, just become a party girl and all that kind of stuff. You know, um, because people tell you stuff sometimes and they don't always believe in you and they don't always believe that you can do the things that, that you want to do, that you're passionate about doing. A lot of times you hear the negative. And so when I got to school as a freshman, and I was scared to be honest. I wanted to connect with people first thing, and it was hard. I didn't. For two weeks, I felt very lonely. I stayed in my dorm room a lot because I was invited to a lot of parties, but I just knew that I didn't have the foundation I needed yet in friendships to be able to handle going to parties and meeting people. I needed to find some solid friends or a solid group that would help me find my footing when I first got to college. So the first two weeks for me were very lonely. One day I was walking across campus and this person from a ministry came up to me and they asked if I wanted to come to their ministry meeting that night. And I said, sure, uh, maybe this is the connection for me. She said, well, do you want to have lunch tomorrow before we go? I said, sure. So we went to the student center, we sat down and she asked me my testimony. So we're sitting like face to face, it's just me and her. And I was actually excited to share how I met the Lord. I told her, you know, this story about how the Lord had really rescued me at a hard time in my childhood, and he had really shown me his love, and that I got saved when I was 11, and then at 12, I felt this weird calling that I couldn't do anything else with my life other than be in ministry, and so I'm sharing this with her. I'm pouring my heart out, and at the end of that conversation... (laughs) Seriously, she looks at me, and she goes, okay, well, let's go through this track. And she opens the first page of the track, and she reads the first part, and then she asks me a question. Who do you think Jesus is? And then, like, it goes to the next thing, and she reads a verse, and then she goes to the next question. We finished the track, and she said, so would you like to respond? Would you like to receive Jesus? And I was like, has she heard anything I've said in this entire 45 minutes we've been sitting here. And honestly, in that moment, I think she was doing what she had been trained to do. But here's what I hoped I would experience in that time with her. I hoped that someone who was a believer would sit down with me and would hear my story and would share excitement with me For what God was doing in my life, I hoped that we could connect. I hoped that there would be a moment where she would say, Well, praise God, I can't believe that. That's a great testimony. I can really see what God's done in your life. I hoped for all these things. And instead, I didn't even get a response to my testimony. I just got, Let's go through this track, and do you want to receive Jesus? And so in that moment, I thought to myself, Why am I so hurt? And I realized it was because it seemed like, now I don't think she intended this, but it seemed like she had a lack of interest in who I was and more interest in finishing the track. She had a lack of relationship with me in that moment. It was just very sterile. And I feel like in that moment, what was missing was a lack of intimacy. She didn't want, I didn't feel like she wanted to get to know me She wasn't even listening to my story. She wasn't trying to ask the Lord for discernment to find out who I was or even delighting in the things he had done in my life. And so I literally left discouraged, thinking I have been alone in my dorm room, pretty much just going to class and hanging out and eating with friends, yes, and hanging out with them, but not going out at night. I was developing friendships with lost people, but I didn't have any Christian friends. And I'm thinking I could have connected in this moment to someone if they had just expressed some sort of desire to have a relationship with me. But instead, I felt like in that moment, it was just Follow the motions. And I think that sometimes when we hear the word witnessing or witness, that's what we think. And here's the reality. I'm a Christian, so I want to believe the best about her. I want to believe that she was really trying to do what she had been trained to do, and she just kind of missed the mark. And I can say that because it's been years of separation, and I can look back and say, look, she had a good heart. I think she was really trying. But a lost person isn't going to say that. A lost person is going to say, she was just using me to get another check on her box to try to find someone who was saved, who she could save and tell someone what she had accomplished. And I think sometimes the world becomes jaded because we don't show the same intimacy and desire for relationship and connection with lost people as Jesus did. Because let's get real Jesus doesn't just stand up in heaven and read us a track and just say, what do you think? He became a stinking man, and he lived among us, and he desired to be with us and among us so that he could understand us as humans. And then not only that, he said, I'm going to die for you, and I'm going to show you the path you're going to take because if you believe in me, you will die too, but you will raise from the dead just like me. And you will come and you will be with me forever. And that is intimacy. A God who doesn't stand afar and do things robotically, but cares about who you are and how you feel and what you're going through. And is a faithful God like we just talked about. Because he sent Jesus, he honored his promises all of the promises of the old testament lead up to what jesus did and what he accomplished and what he is still accomplishing now and so tonight i want to read to you from acts 1 through 7 because this is a great story this is a great section of scripture that speaks about how we need to have intimacy with god if we are going to be doing this thing called Being a witness in a correct manner, in a way in which it can be received by the world around us. We need to know who Jesus is. We need to be saved, yes. But we need to continually be saved by him from the things that hold us back so that we can share our story with other people. So we're going to read from Acts 1, 1 through 7. This is by Luke. In case you don't know this, the book of Acts is written by Luke, and it's not meant to be read alone. It's meant to be read in continuation of his gospel. It's a continuation. It's a connection. So if you don't know this, what's really interesting about the gospel of Luke is that there's not a lot about what happens after the resurrection in the book of Luke. And Luke does that because he knows he's going to write about all of that in Acts. He knows he's about to write a whole other book. And so he doesn't concentrate on the days after the the resurrection. It actually, like, cuts it off a lot faster than the other gospels because he knows, I'm going to pick this back up in Acts. And so it's really neat. And that's where we are right now. So Acts 1, 1 through 7 says, I wrote the first narrative. That's the gospel of Luke. Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen, after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so after he says this, he is resur- he ascends up into heaven. So what's really funny is the disciples continue to look up into heaven as if he's like going to come back or they're like what do we do now? So these two guys come down in white robes, and they're like, hey, guys, so why are you still standing here? You need to go into Jerusalem, because Jesus just basically said he's going to send the promise. He's going to send the Holy Spirit so that you can do everything he's been teaching you to do. So here's the timeline. Jesus raises from the dead after three days. he he, He shows himself to all these people. He teaches them for 40 days about the kingdom of God and what to do. He doesn't leave right away. He spends time with them before he leaves. And then he says, I'm about to ascend to heaven, but I'm not going to leave you alone because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And that's because the Holy Spirit can be with every Christian everywhere and can teach us everything that Jesus wants us to know. And Jesus is not limited by body, but also so that we can have faith in the promise that when we die, we will also be resurrected just like Jesus So here's what's going on, and this is what I love about Acts, is that in the whole Old Testament, the Jews are waiting for all of these promises of God to come true. The beginning of Acts is when it's all happening. So the Gospels is when Jesus dies, right? He dies and he's resurrected. Then the restoration of Israel and the restoration of all people begins. It begins with Jesus' resurrection And then it continues with his ascension. Why did he have to ascend? He had to ascend because he is now going to be king in heaven. And he's still ruling and he's still doing miraculous and wonderful things on earth, but he's doing it through the Holy Spirit. He has left, but he didn't abandon us. He's just been relocated. And yet he sends the Holy Spirit to come down and help us. And what he's telling the disciples is, I am leaving, but I'm not leaving you alone. You're not alone. I care about how you feel. I care about how you develop. I care that you know that there's a path in front of you I care that you know that you're not going to be abandoned and that you continue to understand your salvation. I care about all these things. So I'm sending the Holy Spirit, not only because I care about you, but because God already promised in the Old Testament that he would do this. That the Spirit of the Holy Spirit would be poured out on earth. So all of these promises that God says are now coming true. I have ascended. I'm going to be king. The Holy Spirit's about to come, and then the gospel is going to spread to the ends of the earth. And this is what's amazing is that Jesus says to them now that all of this has happened, that I've taught you all these things, you get to go and be witnesses. So what does it mean to witness? What did it mean to witness to the people to whom Jesus was saying this? Well, this is what I believe. From this passage, a witness provides proof of salvation and transformation. Proof of salvation and transformation. The key thing here, the key message that these disciples took is that Jesus is not dead. He has risen. And if he hadn't risen, we wouldn't have the Holy Spirit. And if he hadn't risen, all of these miracles that start happening in Acts wouldn't be coming true. If Jesus hadn't risen, you would not see us be able to preach and people get saved. If he hadn't risen, Peter wouldn't walk into the temple court and tell a lame man to walk and him spring up and run for joy through the temple because he was never allowed in before because he was lame, but now he can go and worship. Look, the kingdom of God is coming. It is here. Look at all it, all that's happening, and it's not happening through Jesus now specifically as a man, it's now happening through the disciples because they have the Spirit of God in them. And so this is what's awesome. The kingdom of God is now happening. It has started. All of the things that God promised are coming true in this moment. And so the disciples have heard about all of this. Now, they don't understand it all, but Jesus is like, now it's for you to go and tell people that I have resurrected, and because of my resurrection, your lives can all be changed, not only here, but for all eternity, and this is why it's so important for us to believe that the resurrection is real, because if we don't, we really have no message. If Jesus didn't resurrect, we have no life. If Jesus isn't sitting at the right hand of God, he can't save us, but he is, and that's what the wit- that's what we're supposed to witness. We are witnessing to other people that not only is salvation real because Jesus has resurrected, but salvation is real because we are experiencing transformation. Look, salvation is awesome, and telling your story of salvation is awesome, but if it stops there and people don't see you become a changed person, it's kind of stagnated. And the reality is, being a witness is not just of salvation, but also of your transformation. And that's why intimacy is so important, because we're not going to be transformed if we're not pursuing intimacy. Let me tell you um, an example. When I was young, I experienced um, a lot of, I was in and out of a lot of families. It was hard. Um, I did not have any great father figures at all. In fact, I, have, I had some abusive father figures, and all of these things for me caused me to wall myself off. I felt very scared of people. I was scared to open up. I was scared to be rejected. I was scared to share parts of myself that people would make fun of me. I was scared I wouldn't be good enough. I performed in school and sports and everything so hard, I was just looking for someone to be proud of me. I was so walled off with my emotions, and I did not let people close. The irony is I felt so alone, but when I talked to this girl who I went to elementary school with, she said, Char, you don't understand. No one saw you that way. I felt like you were the most popular girl in school. But inside me, I felt like I had no connection to anyone because I was scared to have anyone get close to me to see my family, to reject me, to say terrible things about me once they got very close. And none of it had to do with me. It had to do with what was happening in my home. And so for me, I created two worlds. I created my shari world at school, where I tried to be a different person, perfect person, nice and happy. And then I went home and I was miserable. And that's really how I felt when I was young. Now let me tell you what's awesome. When I was saved at the age 11, I understood that God cared about me and did not want me to live that way. And that's part of my salvation story. Jesus came in and told me he would be my rescuer and he was. He started healing me from the moment that I came to know him because I felt like he heard prayers from a girl who felt like she didn't deserve for God to hear her. And so if you're a girl who you feel like is walled off and lonely, and the God of the universe decides to hear you and starts answering your prayers, I'm going to tell you how that feels. It feels special. You feel noticed. You feel like somehow, for some reason, a God loved you. God loved you. How does that happen? I don't even know. But it made me so dedicated to God that I didn't want to do anything but to serve him with my life. And I was transformed. And let me tell you how much it transformed me. I am not afraid to open myself up to people now. Am I still afraid of rejection sometimes? Yes, I am. But here's the difference. When I was young, I was afraid to open up because I felt like rejection would defeat me. Now I know that even if I open up, even if I'm vulnerable, my Savior is capable of protecting me and healing me. If I get hurt. So I'm not walled off from you guys. I can share things that I wouldn't have shared before. I can open myself up to friends. And like share the most deepest hurts that I have and my failures. I can confess sin and receive forgiveness. There are things that Jesus has done in my life that would not have happened otherwise. And that's what it means to be transformed. Let me tell you why this is awesome. When we're talking about witnessing because if i tell someone that first if i tell them i was walled off i had a really hard time but god has helped heal me of that they say to me well what does that mean how did god heal you and then that opens up the door for me to tell them about the jesus that i love and when i tell them a story like that they say well what does that mean and so then I can bring verses into it. I can start telling about salvation and how I was saved. But the transformation, the real-life stories, the things that God is currently doing in me, not just my salvation story, but my current change, my current condition, all the things I should not be today, but I am for some reason, the abuse did not stick to me and create a person who was walled off bitter and mean. I'm a new person because of Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to witness that intimacy produces this desire for us to tell of all the good things that God not only has done, but is still doing. And so if we're not pursuing intimacy, our faith becomes stagnated. Look, Jesus is king on the throne in heaven. He is still working. He is still moving. He did not ever stop. And that's what the disciples are doing in Acts. They're going around to everyone saying, Jesus is alive, he is still reigning and ruling, it's just from a different location, and he's using the Holy Spirit to heal us all. Do you want to be a part of that? And I say, yes. All right, here's the next thing that happens. A witness provides proof that Jesus is alive. If you look in this um, verse it says that Jesus provided proof, that he, many convincing proofs after he suffered. He also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days. Here are some of the proofs he provided. Hey, look at my scars. I was crucified, but I'm alive now. Here was another proof that he was alive. He ate with them. He ate like a person does. He wasn't a ghost. He was a real person. He had conversations with them, but he did things that weren't normal too. He would like disappear and like walk through walls. So his body wasn't completely the same, but he was alive. But that's proof that he was alive. And then they watched him ascend. Now, where do the proofs go after that? Well, the Holy Spirit comes down at Pentecost. There's tons of people there. They start speaking in tongues, which is crazy. And they're like, what's going on? Then Peter and John are walking into the temple. I mentioned this before. Peter sees a lame man and he tells him, Be healed. The lame man goes running into the temple. He had never done this before. And he was beyond the age that Jews believed a man could be healed. There's so many miracles, there's so many like things behind that healing I can't even go into. These are all proofs that God is alive. Peter preaches and 3,000 people get saved on Pentecost. That was a move of God. There's shaking, there's lightning, there's storms, and people are going, what's going on? And the disciples say, okay, so God's Spirit's coming. Y'all have been waiting for this for years. It's happening now. This is proof that God is not only alive but working. So I want to ask you guys this question. What is your ministry to others? How are you living your life in a way that proves that God is alive, that Jesus is at work in your life? How is your intimacy with God providing proof that Jesus is still alive and active? And I don't mean this in a negative way, but not just your salvation, guys. How is he still working out your salvation? What is your story now, and how is it continuing? Because these stories of like real-life struggles... And what God does in them are the ones that really people are going to connect to and ask you more. They're going to say, tell me more. Tell me more. Okay, so the next and the last one that I want to talk about is a witness participates in God's restoration. A witness participates in God's restoration. So let me tell you what this means. A lot of us think of restoration in different ways. Um, We have an idea of what restoration means. Let me tell you how the Jews believed. When when the disciples say, is this time for Israel to be restored, they're asking a very specific question. And I want to tell you what they're asking so that we don't misunderstand. So when Jesus says, it's not for you to, to know the times or places, a lot of times we think that's a rebuke to be mean and that the disciples aren't getting it. But let's get real. Jesus has just resurrected He's been teaching them about the kingdom of God for 40 days, and they're just curious. They're like, okay, so is the, res- is the restoration coming now? Here were the signs of the restoration, that God's restoration was coming. Number one, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. These are in Joel and some of the, some of the um, Old Testament texts. They believe that a Messiah would come, that a king would come, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out, and it would be evidenced in miracles. Pretty much all this happens in Acts. So what Luke is trying to say is the restoration's here. God is doing it, but he's not doing it the way you thought. You thought an earthly king and an earthly messiah was going to do this. God is going to do it, but he's doing it through a heavenly king and a heavenly messiah. And he's doing it through his spirit, which he poured out in us. And then this is the best part of it. This is what I love. The Jews thought the restoration was just for them. And so this part of the verse where it says that it would be in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What Jesus is saying in that scripture is, it's going to be for the Jews. And guess what? That happens at Pentecost. 3,000 Jews get saved. But they are Jews from all over. So when they go home, after they get saved, they spread out to Judea. All right, And then something really neat happens. Philip decides, I'm going to go to Samaria and I'm going to minister there. Now let me tell you about the Samaritans. They were Jews, but they felt like the rejects of the Jews. The Jews didn't consider them complete Jews. And so the promises of God in the Old Testament say that these on the outskirts who were Jews will be brought in that all will be accepted. When the lame man is healed, he's one of these outskirt people too. He's outside the temple, he's never been able to go in. He's walked people every day, go in and out of the temple and he can't go in. I've thought to myself, I wonder if when Jesus was alive, he walked into the temple and maybe he didn't heal this lame man, now this isn't in the scripture, but I wondered this. Maybe Peter saw this guy, right? And he's like, why didn't Jesus heal him? It's possible. This lame man came every day and just couldn't go in. So maybe after Jesus' resurrection, Peter and John are walking into worship, and he sees the lame man, and Jesus says, yeah, now's your time. You heal him through my spirit, and then watch what I'm going to do. I left this guy for you, Peter. Who knows? I don't know. That's just imagination right there, but I'll tell you, He was the guy on the outskirts that wasn't accepted. And Jesus says, You can go in there now. You can worship in the temple for the first time ever. You've sat outside, but now come in. So that is Samaria. It's it's the rejects, it's the people that were not accepted. The last group of people is so beautiful the ends of the earth. (laughs) Now, when Peter goes to Samaria, he meets this Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch doesn't know what he's reading. And so Philip asks him, hey, do you know what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, how can I know it unless someone tells me? And so Peter explains it to him. And then the eunuch gets saved. And then he's like, why can I not be baptized? Let me tell you what's awesome about that Ethiopian eunuch. First of all, in that time, a lot of people thought Ethiopia was the ends of the earth. No kidding. They believed Ethiopia was the ends of the earth. Second of all, eunuchs were not um, considered to be pure enough to go into the temple. And so you have one of these people who were not allowed in now being accepted. The ends of the earth can also be seen when, when Peter goes and visits Cornelius, who is a Gentile. And God says to Peter, now the Gentiles can come in. And then the enemy of the christians paul saul is converted he's the guy against all christians and he becomes the like light to the gentiles and so what god is saying in this is i'm reaching the jews in jerusalem i'm reaching jews outside in judea i'm reaching samaritans who were rejected by my people And I'm reaching all Gentiles and anyone else who has ever felt excluded from the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is now for everyone. That's where restoration is. That we don't create groups where people aren't allowed. But that the kingdom of God has been open to all people everywhere. All races. All kinds of people. People with disabilities. People not with disabilities. People who die on a cross and were murderers. And Jesus says, I'll see you in heaven today. This is restoration. All of these people's stories tell us about their interaction with a God who is alive. How are you interacting with your God who is alive? Because he's giving you stories He's giving you opportunities to tune into him and to become part of this restoration for other people and for yourself. You have this great opportunity, but it requires intimacy with Jesus. And to me, intimacy with Jesus is the fuel of your witness. It's the fuel. It keeps it from being dry it gives it gas, it makes it go. So I remember the story of the track where the girl gave me the track, I remember that story and um, I think it was my junior year I was in a class called anthropology and there was a guy in there who was a Wicca and he went in there and he shared about why he was a Wicca and how much he loved his coven and he got ridiculed by a lot of christians and there. literally people raised their hand and told him he was going to hell instead of asking him questions they just said i just wanted to raise my hand and he'd call him and they'd say well you're going to hell and pretty much after 10 times of you're going to hell i was like man this guy's door is being shut to his interest in jesus altogether i was grieved so I went to walk out of the building and somehow I ran into him and so I was scared actually to talk to him because how is he ever going to receive anything about the Lord after being slammed so many times so I walk across I somehow just ran right into him and I said thanks for telling your story tell me about where you're from I just start asking about his life I didn't know what to do I'm like what how old are you when you're a junior like 20 or something and so i'm like a 20 year old just girl like what do i have in common with this giant tall guy who lives wicca right you know and so i just start asking about his family and he just starts telling me that his family was broken and when he joined the covenant he had friends and acceptance and really that's where he was hurting you know I just kept asking him questions, and he just said, it doesn't help much that every Christian I meet tells me I'm going to hell. And literally in the next sentence, he goes, so where are you from? And I started telling him my story, and then he said, um, I told him about Jesus. And I was like, I know a lot of people just hurt you, but I'm, I'm a Christian, and this is what God did in my life, and this is why I follow Jesus And so he asked me a bunch of questions. And so by the end of the conversation, I honestly, I'm telling you guys, I don't know how this happened because I was terrified talking to him. And I was just trying to listen to the Lord. What questions should I ask him next? What should I say next? I told him the story of my salvation, but I told him how I felt so free from all the things that used to hold me back. How much healing Jesus had given me. And at the end of the conversation, he said, I think you're the first Christian I've ever met who I really think is a Christian. I think you're the first Christian I've ever met who I would actually want to sit down and talk to. Look, I'm not saying that because I think I'm awesome. I'm saying that because I was terrified in a moment. I had no idea what to do. I'm asking God all along what I should ask or say, and somehow it just ended that way. Because I think I cared about him, and then I let him know how scared I'd been in my life, and we created this weird bond. And did he get saved after? No, he didn't say, baptize me, you know. He walked on, and I went to history class, you know, but I believe there was a seed planted. And it's just about being intimate with God and asking him what to say and do and being brave enough to do it, even if you mess up. And so tonight, I know it's late, and I'm sorry I had to tell that last Wicca story, but I want to give you guys a chance to respond. We're going to play a song, and I feel like this is a message really where if you feel like you haven't received Jesus, you don't have that intimacy with him, there are going to be people standing up here who you can talk to, who can help you. This is not a night to leave without knowing and secondly if you do know Jesus but you just haven't been trying to become intimate with him in a way that tells your story this is a time to come up and and repent and say Jesus I've just been thanking you for my salvation but I really just don't have anything beyond there salvation is holistic it changes us It transforms us in ways that we can't control. God wants you whole. He doesn't just want you saved. He wants you whole as a person. He will continue to heal you so that one day when you see him, you guys can sit down and talk about all the things he did. It's a time of celebration. It's not supposed to be a time of intimidation. When you meet your Savior, you should be just so excited to embrace him for all he's done. So we're going to sing. I'm going to close this out. Lord, I thank you for this time. I pray that everyone will respond in the way that they need. Lord, lead them and guide them. Thank you for allowing us to be together. In your name I pray. Amen.